Japan by River Cruise is made possible thanks to those who donate to the show at japanbyrivercruise.com and due to the generosity of our corporate sponsors. This is a public service announcement from Japan by River Cruise. Hi, I'm Bobby Judo. You probably know me as the co-host of the Japan by River Cruise podcast. And I'm Ollie Horn, as made famous by the Japan by River Cruise podcast. Right now, though, we'd like to take a moment to talk to you about something that's very important to us personally, and we're going to level with you. This is the space where normally we would bring you a short advertisement. But this week, Ollie and I feel that it is our duty to perform a public service on behalf of the government and people of Japan, thereby foregoing our very real and very lucrative ad revenue. Yes, due to our recent successes on this podcast, like getting the Olympics postponed, that was us, uh, reopening up the borders to foreign nationals stranded abroad, us, still ongoing, and shaming pachinko parlors who remained open during lockdown, we did that, we suspect that Prime Minister Abe and Tokyo Governor Koike are probably looking to, and dare I say, even counting on Japan by River Cruise to help them take the first step towards doing what they should have done weeks ago. And so, without further ado, on their behalf, and with Prime Minister Abe's implicit blessing, we would like to take this opportunity to officially declare a state of emergency. Ali, if you would. Thank you, Bobby. I hereby declare a state of emergency. Right, there's that sorted. Hello, Brian, and welcome back to Japan by River Cruise. I'm Bobby Judo. And I'm Ollie Horn. And joining us this week is NHK World business reporter and food writer, Phoebe Amoroso. Phoebe studied geography at Cambridge University, writing her dissertation on why the correct way to punt is by standing at the back instead of the front, the only academic article ever that has been banned from Oxford's Bodleian Library for containing objectively verifiable disinformation. Phoebe, thank you for coming on the show, and thank you for giving Ollie his earliest ever opportunity to talk about having gone to Oxford. Oh, well, I was going to say thank you for having me, but now I know I'm at war with Ollie, so I'm not sure. <laughs> no, great to be here. On this week's show, we'll get Phoebe's insights into the Japanese government's efforts to stimulate the economy with the go-to-travel and go-to-eat campaigns, and we'll also take a look at the unofficial companion program, Go to Your Grandmother's Funeral. Plus, Ali's got your weekly river cruise recommendation. Ali? Yes, well, foreigners in Japan were already upset about ATMs taking the weekend off, but now it seems they're using that time off to prevent hardworking humans from enjoying a relaxing trip down the river. In light of passenger complaints that local ATMs and Pepper robots are buying up the river cruise tickets, this week's recommendation is the San Nomiya Harbourland Cruise, which has announced additional security measures to combat the problem. The company has sought to reassure passengers by installing boards on the entrance to the boat with a 6x6 grid of images of public transport and civic infrastructure. Passengers who cannot correctly identify which squares have traffic lights, trains or boats will be denied boarding. Also, a preview of the upcoming GoTo Riverboat campaign, which will include a 1,000 yen discount on your river cruise tickets and also just straight up give you coronavirus. But first, Soap Talk. Phoebe, I noticed that you shared uh, an article that was going around on Twitter about Japan post-pandemic and how it might attract the world. I saw other people kind of pushing back on this a little bit because of uh, the current situation with the re-entry ban. We talked about it on the show in previous episodes, but the idea that the re-entry ban and the discriminatory policy around it is actually working against making Japan look like an attractive option for people who want to move somewhere. 
But the article that you shared uh, takes kind of an opposite stance. I was wondering if you had any thoughts on on the article and the situation in general. Well, I just shared it because I found it um, an unusually optimistic viewpoint, given that, of course, yes, um, as you discussed on your last episode, and as has been a, a big concern among my friends here and for um, anyone based in Japan who doesn't have a Japanese passport, the concern about not being able to leave and come back in, uh, you know, this is obviously not a great thing for Japan's international reputation. Mm. I mean, this article didn't, um, as far as I remember, did not specifically address the re-entry, uh, right. re-entry ban issues. But they put forward the argument of, well, with all the kind of chaos going on in the world right now, Japan represents uh, sort of a level of stability, um, you know, uh, a, a good standard of living, and right. has desirable job prospects. Um, equally, they were saying about uh, educational opportunities, and mm. they, it would attract a lot of Chinese Chinese students who are no longer going yeah. to the US for, uh, well, even pre, pre-COVID, right? With yeah. um, Trump's uh, immigration policies, trade war, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, in ter- but in terms of the international image of Japan, um, I guess it depends on uh, how many people kind of are aware of this if they're not in this situation right now. Because it seems mm. like so important to us being here and being yeah. in the midst of that. You think of how big the world is. And I will talk to, maybe you talk to friends back home and they have no idea that you can't go out and come back in. They just don't know the situation. So the mm. question of how much the international business community is going to be aware of this and also memory, like how much people are going to remember this um, as to whether that will actually you know, count against Japan going forward. I also got the sense that the article wasn't talking only about Westerners who might have a lot of different options in which countries they could go study or work or start a business in. But in terms of some of the maybe non-skilled labor or immigrants from Asian countries that come over to do study programs or agricultural internships or things like that, because for a lot of those countries, the conditions in Japan, even if people in the West might see them as exploitative or unfair, they might still be attractive. And one thing that I liked in this article was um, it deals with the idea that Japan has, is so homogenous. It's considered so homogenous, but it needs to rely on foreign labor. So there's kind of this conflict over the idea of how many foreigners can you bring in? How many foreigners can you bring in before Japan stops being Japan? And how Japan's going to have to kind of deal with these ideas if it wants to remain a significant economic power. Um, Suddenly, that was an interesting point of how Japan can expect to be a lot more diverse and international. Um, And that would be, I believe, would be a strength going forward. Um, In terms of how that's enacted, a lot of people here are pushing back, aren't they? And they feel like the technical training program was too much too soon. And that has been greatly criticized in terms of the treatment of workers. Mm-hmm. But if Japan's population is declining as quickly as it is, I mean... I think there's a, a distinction that needs to be made. When Japanese people, but actually it's not just Japanese people, it's also kind of white men on Twitter that don't want more foreigners to come in. I think, <laughs> I, I think there's a distinction that needs to be made between a changing face of Japan and a changing Japanese culture. And I think that a mistake that people often make is they... Uh, in my view, incorrectly assume that bringing in different ethnicities and people of different colour and different background in Japan will necessarily change Japan's culture. And I think, if we think of culture as an evolutionary thing, let's say 
you know, example we could talk about is the Windrush generation in the UK, right? Where lots of people came from, say, Barbados. They were a different color to the majority population in the UK, but they assimilated to British culture and they became part of British culture. And so I do wonder whether if Japan kind of does more to make sure that these foreigners which are coming into the country do feel welcome and do understand how to do all of the kind of traditional Japanese things, do adopt, you know, quote unquote, Japanese values, that maybe that, you know, there isn't as much of a, of a problem as people are worried about. I've got to say, I don't care. I don't care if it changes the culture. I really don't. I say, let them all in. Let everybody in. In my 20s, I got plenty of own sends with no tattoos and quality convenience store customer service. As I get older, I just want to make sure somebody's paying my social security benefits. <laughs> <laughs> but I, re I really don't think we should underestimate the amount of soft power which Japan has in the region. I remember when I was in Nepal, uh, at the end of last year, back when it was okay to travel the world and when I had a job. And it really shocked me how many Japanese language schools were being advertised on the street. Like, I think you can tell a lot um, about a country by the kind of things that it's uh, advertising that you can learn. I've got to say, uh, my wife and I went to Nepal when we did our round-the-world trip, and you definitely have a point, but in Nepal, they get a lot of Japanese tourists, and I don't know how much of the language schools are people hoping to move to Japan, and how much of them are just people hoping to bang Japanese people who are traveling through their country. <laughs> I, if my wife's experience in Nepal is any <laughs> is any testament, it's probably a lot of the latter. <laughs> Bobby, did we get any mail this week? We have no mail, but apparently a couple people tried to leave us reviews. Yeah, they tried to leave us reviews on platforms which don't exist. So we ambitiously tweeted asking people to leave us a review on the basis that we got criticized by someone for not having many reviews, uh, which we took very personally. Uh, and on checking, the reviews don't mention the fact that we're a podcast about river cruises. And so people are going to get the wrong idea about what we're actually about. So we encourage you, if you have a podcast player that, can, that you can write reviews on, do so. And for goodness sake, mention river cruises. Uh, but I found out that we found out that most podcast players don't. Like, loads of you listen to us on Spotify. You can't review us. Loads of you listen to us on um, Android. Google. Google, there we go, and uh, you can't leave a review there. So it's only really Apple users that can leave a review. And also, apparently, each store is in a different country. So you can only leave a review for people that are listening in that country. Uh, and what we've noticed is on the stats, uh, our Japanese listenership is going up, our American listenership is going up, and our British listenership is going down. And frankly, I think I have myself to blame. I think it's, it might be because every time we have an American guest on, I apologize for Ali being British. He uses weird words or expressions or makes awkward jokes. And I always apologize for him for being British. But actually, our Britishness are like, no, that's not Britishness. That's just Ollie being an asshole. <laughs> um, fine line, fine line. Bobby, shall we take a look at the news? Bobby Judo, what's in the news this week? We have touched on this very slightly in a previous episode, but the Japanese government is running a couple of campaigns, hopefully to stimulate the economy. Uh, Phoebe, can you tell us about the go to travel and the go to eat campaigns that Japan is attempting to get off the ground? Right. So, um, yes, the go to travel campaign will cover up to half of um, people's travel expenses, up to, I think, 20,000 yen per stay, but 10,000 yen for a day trip. Um, if people purchase through designated travel agencies or make reservations at hotels included in this scheme. But this campaign's kind of 
been on a bit of a wild journey itself. Um, Because it started off like, yes, we'll stimulate the economy. And then um, about a week later, Tokyo's got a lot of rising cases of coronavirus. Second wave is hitting, yeah, yeah. Second wave is hitting. And um, Tokyo suddenly got dropped from the campaign. And this caused, understandably, a lot of backlash on both sides. And you had people in Tokyo being, well, we're taxpayers too. If you're going to run the campaign, that's what... I think like $12.6 billion worth of travel subsidies use the taxes from other prefectures. Meanwhile, a lot of people are like, actually, maybe we should just cancel it for everywhere. I'm getting kind of nervous here. Um, cases are kind of rising around the whole country. I remember hearing about this campaign first when it was misreported months ago on foreign outlets, which mistakenly thought that this was people coming into the country. And this happens all the time. One person accidentally mistranslates something from a Japanese press release. And then you have like the kind of very low quality, non-fact-checking BuzzFeed copycats uh, around the world with their fantastically clickbaity headline, Japan will pay for you to visit Japan. And so people got really excited that they'd have all these subsidized trips to Japan. That then never came true. Uh, and so in, in a way, kind of us foreigners outside Japan, we can understand how Japanese people feel. We thought that we'd get all this free money to go... Uh, gallivanting around the country. Now we can't. So I'd seen that the Japanese government had said that for Tokyo, people who had attempted to buy into this and then were forced to cancel because they'd been dropped, that the government is going to cover their cancellation costs. Have there been any more recent developments with this? Well, it's funny you should ask because, uh, yeah, news in today was um, for any other regions that might get excluded, although, disclaimer, we are not currently thinking about excluding any other regions as of yet. But if they do get excluded, <laughs> the portion of the fees that were discounted, the travellers themselves will have to cover the costs. Now, originally, um, the businesses were going to have to cover that cost. Um, and then the government said it would cover it. And now it's kind of like, mm, you know what, this is getting kind of expensive. Oh, and by the way, um, if there are any other cancellation fees from those regions, they're also excluded. You guys have to pay. Now, uh, given that, yeah, I know, I'm so sorry, terrible times. Um, but given that the daily total of coronavirus cases today topped, I think, topped a thousand, I think like a, a record. Topped a thousand, yeah, yeah. Osaka, yeah, Osaka, Aichi, Okinawa all beating daily records today. It's quite likely that some other regions are going to start dropping from oh, this. Oh, man. So the whole idea here was that they were going to get an injection of much-needed money into tourism economies, and they were going to incentivize people to spend their money and give them discounts. And Because we've got to remember that these places have kind of been double hit. Because for the last three or four years, a lot of these kind of regional destinations have been adding extra capacity, have been investing heavily in their uh, accommodation, expecting there to be a huge deluge of travel from the because Olympics. of the Olympics. Right. And so not only have they had all this capital investment that now they're not getting a return on, but also domestic travel has gone to nothing. But it is somewhat unfortunate that Japan's answer to, well, regional economies need stimulating, what can we do? It's a shame that that plan is also exactly the same plan that you'd come up with if you were an evil mastermind to go, we need to spread this virus evenly around the country. What should we do? Well, let's pay people to go to go there. It, they don't sit very uh, comfortably side by side. Yeah. <laughs> no, they should be maintaining social distancing of two metres. At least, at least six feet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> Please put these plans two meters apart and they will be fine. Well, it's really kind of a lesser of two evils thing because it was this plan that if they go forward with it, it could potentially spread the coronavirus. But if they don't go forward with it, you've hurt the economy instead of stimulating it. You've, you've kind of got all these people to spend their money and waste it and you've further damaged the tourism industry. It seems a bit of a, yeah, it's a bit of a double-edged sword. I mean, and as you said, when this was reported a few months ago, got misreported, they were obviously thinking about this kind of scheme to spread money to the regions way before this second wave hit. So, it, I mean, obviously it's terrible timing, but when they thought it up, it, you know, probably was not going to be like, well, they weren't envisaging this scenario. I mean, although many people said that, of course, they yes, the second wave been. is yeah, yeah, yeah. should have been right. But well, I mean, hadn't done mu- they, they obviously of- hadn't done much checking of the plan, had they? I mean, they never even spell check the title. <laughs> there could have been much preparation. I quite like the sort of um, dict- dictatorial approach. Go to travel. I don't know. It's just, um, I mean, it, it, it's straight to the point. That's not the only campaign, is there? Because there's also the go to eat travel, which at least go to defense- eat. Well, that does make some <laughs> grammatical sense. It's still a bit rude. Grammatically, it's okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, what does that scheme do? Um, so go to eat is, um, I think, 25% of food and drinks at restaurants that have registered. And they're still in the registration process. I think it runs to August the 7th. And they're aiming to get this go to eat campaign off the, off the ground by the end of August. And I think you can also get... Um, reward points worth up to a thousand yen per person all these kind of coupons that you can use just to get people eating out because um i think a lot of places are still reporting around tokyo that their customer base is about a third of what it was um and you're seeing some pretty bad casualties in in the restaurant industry in places having to close so the go to eat campaign hasn't actually been launched because that means that the uk is ahead of japan because the uk launched the um the eat out to help out campaign last month which (laughs) it's like there's an international arms race of stupid names for these who can name this the worst thing right i mean do you reckon that's what the uk were going for like the original name was go down on your partner to beat coronavirus they were like let's just turn it down a bit let's turn it down a little bit (laughs) but it's just like that that kissing advice um no deep kissing only shallow kissing. <laughs> okay, then. Um, it, at what level does a deep, deep kiss become a deep kiss? Um. <laughs> was this that same thing that did the rounds where one of the advice was don't kiss while you're having intercourse and if you can, use glory holes? I'm hoping I mean, this was a parody, but I remember seeing this come up on Facebook. Someone was ridiculing this like government sex advice. There is some kind of religious practice where you're supposed to ha- cut a sheet with a hole in. That's a Jewish thing. Maybe we could solve all the problems here, right? For the, the go to eat campaign, how are these restaurants going to encourage people? And we found our black market good. It's a sheet with a hole in. Come eat here, we'll give you a <laughs> discount and you can have safe sex with this holy sheet. Well, I mean, places like Ichiran and like those one stall ramen shops or one stall yakiniku shops are already ideally set up for kind of like social distancing measures, aren't they? Oh, I've never actually been to one of those. Like, I, I think of it as like the loner booth, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I-, I never well, you're, you're... enjoyed going to them, but they might be ideally set up for this kind of thing. Maybe, maybe. I mean, ch- some chains have been closing down branches, but maybe this is the Ichiran era. Like, Ichi, 
Hitori. It's just the sad and lonely going out for a quick. You know, if you're gonna go go for that, you might as well just have a like a cup noodle at home in a way, right? <laughs> it's sort of like. It's like well. Yeah, I quite liked it. <laughs> it's all right, Ollie. It's you're comfortable. Comfortable with your with yourself, and I mean, I go travelling alone, so. <laughs> It was never a sense of, you know, I'm a strong, confident man. It's more like, I don't want anyone to have to suffer the indignity of having to watch me eat. <laughs> Isn't your stand-up called A Pig in Japan? So I have this mental image of you and this bowl of ramen and a very messy time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it's exactly that. Yeah. It is It is exactly <laughs> that. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. If you've seen the show, it is it's that. So Phoebe, as a as a food writer, as somebody who likes food, likes eating out at nice restaurants, and as somebody who follows kind of business trends in Japan, do you see any potential for the go to eat campaign to actually be successful? I mean, I'm not I'm not someone that's really wanting to make predictions right now, particularly as we're hitting with the the second wave and what direction cases are going in. If Japan's hit a daily record today, it's not a time to really be uh, making predictions. So suddenly in terms of, I think, general feeling that, that business has to continue at some point and go on at some point. So how are people going to be encouraged to eat out? I don't really know if 25% off at only participating restaurants is really going to motivate people that much. Yeah. Um, I was more interested in um, the temporary... Um, the temporary license for restaurants to put outdoor seating and yeah, use the, yeah, the yeah. streets in front of their restaurants. Um, one thing that maybe, maybe not from a Japanese perspective, but certainly maybe among people coming to Japan and they think Tokyo, oh, nice, I'll just go and have some terrace seats. That's not really a thing, right? So, right. I mean, um, that's whether that's making enough to make a difference to have outdoor seating, particularly as we're about to go into the evil season of summer. That's really interesting to me, though, because um, I see a tendency in Japan to try to adopt certain rules and then throw them out of the window as soon as they become inconvenient. The whole idea of like the Airbnb minpaku problems where they were so strict on Airbnb and minpaku until they were like, oh, we don't have enough lodgings for people coming for the Olympics. And then it was this sense of, well, we'll forgive, we'll be really lenient with how we treat minpaku for as long as it's necessary to us. Japan is also very strict on outdoor seating, on yatais. The the laws around granting the permissions to run a yatai, an outdoor food stall, are so strict and they generally don't give those licenses out. But as soon as the situation pops up where there's like, there's a necessity here, they reverse their positions. They recently, I think, tried to create a kind of mentor, like some kind of mentoring program, didn't they, between the older yatai and the new yatai in Fukuoka? In Fukuoka, because, yeah, uh, yeah. Right? Because they were having a lack of people going in and they're really trying to encourage what the neo, neo yatai boom, as they're calling yeah. it, right? Um, so, yeah, when necessity needs must, things change. But let's think about, though, the situation in terms of telework. So they were encouraging loads of people to work from home. This is not necessarily a law, but it apparently like the rate dropped down to 20% again after lockdown was lift, lifted. And now yeah. they're back to asking people to go to 70%. So I, don't, I wonder how much it's going to be kind of waves. I mean, obviously matching infections, but in terms of how sh things shift, whether it will be 
in one directional tubber on balance. Yeah. I, I wonder what the older generation of Yate owners have to teach the younger generation of Yate owners. It seems like you can pick up, be hostile to foreign clientele if they look like they can't speak Japanese, charge them double for, the, for your set menu, <laughs> um, and uh, feel free to not wash the plates. Seems like that, that's an afternoon's training. I've got to defend the Yatai owners here, Ali. They are not just hostile to foreign clientele. They are hostile to all clientele. <laughs> I mean, Oli, maybe they saw the way you tried to eat their food. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to run out. Uh, Phoebe, you mentioned they're encouraging people to try to do 70% telework right now. Like they're trying to get businesses to allow people to do up to 70% of the work for the business from home. I also saw they're trying to get this workation thing off the ground. They're trying to encourage workations. Well, um, as long-term residents in Japan, the wonderful irony of this situation is kind of making me laugh. An official yeah. government announcement of workation you know try and take a vacation and keep working so i can't decide which way i stand on this whether that is so ironic in terms of encouraging a holiday or yeah. the fact is holidays should be work and i can't decide <laughs> which way to view this well the the concept i think is you pick a place where you'd like to go on holiday some place that you'd like to explore and have fun but also find a way to be doing a job there and Japan is calling it workation, but I think in English we called that the jet program. <laughs> Except for I imagine that all these poor people actually sitting in there, a place you'd like to go on holiday, and then you basically are given a seen amount of work, and you just look out your window thinking, I could be seeing the area, but workcation. So you get so close to where you want to be, and then you do uh, lots of overtime and continue living. It's quite... Sorry, that's very dark. Very dark. I think this could this could be a positive thing. It could drive some technological innovations. We could see uh, huge leaps and advances in the field of waterproof laptops, so people can do their Zoom conferences in the onsen. Ah, uh, that that is um, quite uh, an image because we all know people messing up with their webcams. I would not recommend. <laughs> I personally, I do not want to. <laughs> Zoom with my colleagues whilst they're naked in the onsen. I am okay, thank you. <laughs> but you're right, um, we are probably going to see, in fact, we are seeing a lot of technological innovations. One of the things that I was amazed at, in, just in general, um, is how quickly stores responded. Like Bic Camera um, set up the telework section for everyone buying stuff for doing it at home. And um, although this might sound like a story from 30 years ago, the Japanese government is helping regional hotels install Wi-Fi. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> so now you can, you can get a live update on the uh, increase in coronavirus cases to your, uh, to your countryside Ryokan uh, in, in real time. This is a totally random tangent, but uh, I was traveling to Okinawa every once in a while for uh, an infomercial job that I was doing down there. And there was a hotel that they had us staying at that had free video on demand, which is very rare in Japanese hotels. Um, and most people used it to watch pornography for free. And then they got Wi-Fi and, <laughs> and they took away the free video on demand on the grounds that now they were giving out free Wi-Fi. So you didn't need the hotel to provide your pornography. <laughs> wow. Straight up. <laughs> <laughs> they, to be fair to the hotel, they didn't state the reasoning that directly. That was just my interpretation of it. But you do, you do actually raise a like a valid point that hotels did have to radically change their business model uh, about five years ago, 
when uh, ordering food through the likes of Uber Eats became normalized because hotels were making money by you know charging you uh, money for the minibar, charging you to watch stuff on their TV systems. And the moment you could stream any movie to your iPad in your room, and the moment you could get any food delivered into your room, they had to start making their margins on the rooms themselves rather than the extras. That's why I don't really begrudge paying for Wi-Fi in hotels because yeah. I'm using that Wi-Fi to rip them off. Maybe that's a solution for how to revitalize the hotel industry. Just take away the Wi-Fi. Hey, thanks very much for listening to this episode 46 of Japan by River Cruise. Thanks as ever to those who support the show by donating $5 a month. Your extra bits are as ever in your special feed now. And thank you to our guest this week, Phoebe Amoroso. You can see her on NHK World, but she also puts up a lot of uh, Japan food content. Uh, Phoebe, can you tell us your Instagram or your Twitter handles? Sure, you can find me at um, Phoebe's Eats. That's P-H-E-E-B-Z or Z. Oh, I don't know. E-A-T-Z. And uh, yeah, I share a lot of content on there. So um, take a look. Thanks very much. See you next week.